When I read through the different accounts of the last 24 hours of the life of our Lord, I find my heart quite stirred, sometimes almost wincing at the way in which he was treated. And I do commend to you taking time to start with Mark or Matthew, whichever you choose to go first, and then on to Luke and to John to read the flow of the events of that incredibly significant day. But I want to read to you now from Luke chapter 23. And what's on the screen is not what's in my Bible, so one of us (laughs) needs to make an adjustment. Um, It's Luke 23, and I want to start at verse 32. And I realise that in many ways the story is familiar for us, but in another sense we do well to reflect on it. It's a message that I prepared. Thank you, that'll fly. Good. I prepared this message. Anybody ever sat in church on a, and listened to a message and some other ideas came to your head at the same time? I mean, God ideas. <laughs> there may be some other ideas. But I was sitting in church about three weeks ago and it just kind of flowed and I thought, I want to put this together for what can we learn from the words of the Lord Jesus on the cross? So that's the focus of the day. Oh, you're an angel. Well, thank you. Cunningly disguised, but thank you. Uh, Right. um, (laughs) So I just thought I'd throw that last bit in. Okay. Um, I want to read to you from Luke chapter 23. If you've got your Bible, you're very welcome to follow. And I'll press this button and see what happens. It tells us that great crowds trailed along behind, including many grief-stricken women. I think that is an understatement when Luke puts that in. Can you imagine the utter devastation that people felt when Jesus, their hero, was being um, taken off to the cross? So, and uh, here we go. Oh, that looks like a good song for us to end with. I'll let you guys play. Hello, I'll wait. Have you ever thought of being a police officer? You do that so well. (laughs) Okay, that's the one. Well done. This is as Jesus was on his way toward Calvary, and he said to the ladies, daughters of Jerusalem, don't weep for me, but weep for yourselves and your children. Listen, I'll read it. And you guys can listen, and we used to manage quite well without these marvellous gadgets. So, okay. And so Jesus is sounding a note that if that's the way he is treated, then others who follow him will also get a hard time. In fact, I love the way wherever Beck's hiding, you mentioned the do not be afraid over 300 times. I actually remember reading that it was 365 times in the Bible, which I thought was rather cool. That's sort of one for each day of the year. Um, I haven't counted them, I must confess, but there's certainly lots of them. So let me read on. Uh, Verse 32, two other criminals were led out, two others, excuse me, both criminals were led out to be executed with him. Finally, they came to the place called the the skull, Golgotha, All three were crucified there, Jesus on the centre cross and one criminal on each side. Jesus said, and now we're on to what did Jesus say on the cross? These are his words from the cross. Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. And the soldiers gambled for his clothes by throwing dice. 
And you know that that was a fulfilment of the scriptures in Psalm 22. The crowd watched and the leaders laughed and scoffed. He saved others, they said. Let him save himself if he is really God's chosen one, the Messiah. And the soldiers mocked him by offering him a drink of sour wine. And they called out to him, if you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. A signboard was nailed to the cross above him with these words, this is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals hanging beside him scoffed. So you're the Messiah, are you? Well, prove it by saving yourself and us too while you're at it. But the other criminal protested, don't you fear God even when you're dying? We deserve to die for our evil deeds, but this man has not done anything wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said, I assure you, today you'll be with me in paradise. Isn't that a grand promise? By this time it was noon and darkness fell across the whole land until three o'clock. The light from the sun was gone. The suddenly the thick veil hanging in the temple was torn apart and then Jesus shouted, Father, I entrust my spirit into your cares. With those words he breathed his last and then the captain of the Roman soldiers handed, handling the execution saw what had happened. He praised God and said, surely this man was innocent. Pilate had said Jesus was innocent. Herod had recognized him as innocent the fellow uh, one being crucified, and now the officer. And when the crowd saw what had happened, that those who'd come to see the crucifixion, they went home in deep sorrow. But Jesus' friends, including the women who'd followed him from Galilee, stood at a distant watching. May God help us to understand the reading from his word. And I want to walk you through now. I'm going to escape from here so I can point to the screen. Wonderful. And I'm hoping that you will get some ideas. Do we all find things going wrong at times? You know, you're in a big hurry and you find you've got a flat tire or somebody turns up and asks you a hard question. So, Lord, give us some wisdom to identify the things we can learn from you that are going to be relevant in our journey. And we thank you for the wonder of the Easter story and the thrill of the resurrection. But give us, I pray now, just a touch of awareness of those incredibly sacred moments of the cross itself. In Jesus' name, amen. So I want to look at the events of Good Friday and particularly have focused on this passage from Luke's Gospel. Now, I want to touch on the issue of the fact that Jesus was prepared for the challenge. He knew who he was, where he'd come from, where he was going, and he took a basin and washed the disciples' feet. By the way, do we do well to remember who we are? What have we been singing about in the song that's been, song's been chosen today? Am I child of God? Let us do well to remember it. And then he knew who he was, where he'd come from. Is that relevant for us? I remember one young lad at one of the churches I served, it was a house church, and he was on a Harley. And he used to have flying boots on, even in summer, and this big shirt which was opened all the way down to his tummy because he had lots of hairy chest to show off. And he came to me one day and he said, I'm thinking of giving Christianity up. I said, why? What's the problem? Oh, he said, 
you, you don't know how hard it is for me to break some of those habits. I don't know whether I'm really converted. I said, tell me what it was like before you became a Christian. Oh, well, I used to swear and I used to, and he started to tell me all the bad stuff. I said, are you doing all of those? Oh, no, no, no. There's a lot of that has changed now. I said, that sounds to me like a pretty good encouragement that you're moving in the right direction. You just kind of keep on following. Does that make sense? We need to know where we've come from. Glory to God. What was the purpose of our life before conversion? Well, I'm kind of filling in time till I die and can flex some toys and titles, but now it's different from that. We're a child of God. We've got a plan and a purpose. We know where we've come from and we know where we're going, eh? Hello? I mean, I'm not in North Queensland. I can still say, eh? Can't I? Is that that okay? You know, I sort of learned that when I was up there. (laughs) So... But what did Jesus do next? He took a basin and washed the disciples' feet and I noticed the presence of Judas there. We tend to forget that, but there was that last appeal to Judas and I wonder what the implications of that may be. But I find a totally different model of leadership in that he is a servant leader. But then when I look at the moment... He stepped forward, talk about courage, to the soldiers that had come to arrest him, hundreds of them, and he said, who are you looking for? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth, and he said, I am. And they all fell down and dropped their swords and shields and had to kind of get all organised. The more I thought about that, the more I thought, here is God in a human form declaring the divine name, I am, and at that moment something of his glory shone out and they had to kind of collect themselves. Don't ever get the idea that Jesus was a martyr. He knew very well the steps that he was taking and the consequences of them. And so the I am was a statement of his glory shining out in the garden. But I am fascinated when I read the stories, and I went through each of them again in my devotions a number of times in preparing and again this morning, at the fact that Jesus didn't defend himself. His lack of self-defense is amazing. Uh, But the Bible tells us like a lamb before its shearers, so he opened not his mouth. And there was incredible provocation. All the lies that they said, the illegal trial, it wasn't allowed to be at night time. They had it at night time. The criminal was never to, or the accused, was never to be asked a self-incriminating question. I demand in God's name that you tell us whether you are the Messiah knowing very well that was to be the reason why they were he was not put to death for anything wrong that he had done, but it related to who he was, the, bias, the lies and the mocking. And by the way, when they put those nails in, what would normally happen at a crucifixion? Do you think people might say, ouch, with some measure of passion like, ah, <laughs> And might they say some mean and nasty things to the soldiers doing it? What have they got to lose? You know, it's all over in a matter of hours. And for him, there were no curses. The soldiers could not but have noticed how different this was from any other crucifixion. I submit to you they would never forget it. In fact, while I mention it just in passing, there is a legend, it's not in any sacred book, that Pilate later became a Christian when he was in governing in Gaul that became France. Interesting, I'm sure they would never, never have forgotten that weekend. 
But then the one thing that he accepted and affirmed was the accusation of who he was, God's chosen Messiah, and his future triumph. I'll come back to that, but let us not forget it. That's the one thing that he was happy to focus, willing to focus on. And uh, I just put his amazing self-discipline. Anybody else struggle with self-discipline? You know, first thing in the morning, instead of getting up, it can be mattress over mind instead of mind over, <laughs> hello, you know, just kind of getting started. And um, there are other times when doing the right thing is difficult. I believe part of our growth in our journey of getting to know and love God and become his man and his woman is the self-discipline that he enables us. And, you know, does anybody know a song, Ask the Saviour to Help You, Heal, Comfort and Strength You, Yield Not to Temptation? One of the lines in that song says, each victory will help you some other to win. As we bring self-discipline into our lives, in our devotional life each day, it flows on into other areas of our daily life as well. But let's look at what Jesus actually said. Here's the first one that Luke records in that sequence. Father, forgive them. What an amazing prayer. I do well to remind us that Jesus understands betrayal. We live in a world where couples stand at the front of a chapel or in a sacred place and agree till death do us part. What is happening so often in our society? And little children cry in the night. And wounded people talk about the heartache that comes from betrayal on the home front or betrayal from sad news in that regard. Or two blokes decide to start a business together and they both pitch in a large slab of their savings. And what happens? One morning, one of them turns up at work to find the drawer is empty and the other is gone and the account is empty. Betrayal can happen in a whole boast of, most bunch of areas, areas for us. Can I remind you, if that's part of your journey, that Jesus understands how it feels to be betrayed. The risings of anger, that's not fair. The temptation to say, I'm going to slander that person, I'll make their reputation. Jesus understands betrayal. And I am absolutely impressed by the sheer wonder of saying, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. They know not what they do, didn't they? Well, in one sense, of course, there was the soldiers and Judas, whose plan had failed, and the Roman soldiers and the religious leaders, all of those people, was there some forgiveness for them deliberately breaking the law to put him on a cross when they knew he was innocent? The soldiers laughing at him and Judas, of course. The renter crowd that was gathered, I have no doubt that the crowd that cried crucified was a chosen crowd. Renter crowd was my term. And the insults and the taunts that came from that. Okay, I want to touch on this one for another area. If you were to ask me what is the most important key to freedom in our human journey, I would have to say it touches in this realm of forgiveness. 
The bottom line is you and I are living in a world where hurts will come. Amen? People will say mean and nasty things. You know, when I was in primary school, the teacher gave me such a hard time that the doctor, I'd come out in a ration, the doctor said, get a different teacher for the guy. And that changed things, thankfully. But my point is, that was unforgettable. I can still remember a, a moment or two of that part of the journey. And so for each of us, we need to let the past be in the past. The words of Jesus, if you get nothing out of the study and I've got more to come, believe me, remember when you and I forgive, we release and we are released. My wife and I went on, uh, we actually, there was a school of prayer that we liked and I, I loved attending this guy's messages when he visited from overseas and then lo and behold, as we were planning our wedding, 1970, we found out that he was in Brisbane eight days after the wedding. In Sydney, excuse me. What do you think we did? Most people don't spend their honeymoon at a Christian camp. But we were determined to learn how to pray and to lay that foundation for our marriage. And one of the things I learned there was you can make a list of the hurts that others have committed against you. And on the other side, you can make... Oops, oh, dearie me, yeah, what do I do? Can you take it back one, please? I'm really sorry. I'm, these are different buttons from the ones I'm used to. There we go. I'll leave it to you. You guys fix it. <laughs> Thank you. On one side of the bit of paper, hurts against me. But as I'm writing that down, I start remembering hurts against God that I've done. And you put them on the other side. And you cancel the hurts against me with Matthew 6. If we forgive others, the Heavenly Father will also forgive our transgressions. And on the other side, the hurts, then I can confess against God to be forgiven. Both of them relevant. Matthew 6.14 and 1 John 1, 9. And then uh, we've done this at youth camps. I've done camps now with over 20,000 people, teenagers mainly, and we let the kids burn their list in a little campfire place or a safe place. I was sharing that uh, at a senior's retirement village and I said, okay, so you guys, if you want to do it, you can write it in the privacy of your room and then burn it. And someone said, no, no, no. Somebody had a birthday party and the smoke from the candles brought the fire brigade and it cost them $800. Don't do it that way. <laughs> so I said to them, don't use a piece of paper if that's your situation. Grab a bit of toilet paper because you can flush that and nobody's going to see it. But when that list is destroyed, whether by the flames or being washed away, there is a release. And friends, I can testify to this over dozens, well, 50 years of ministry. So if you've got nothing else but Father, forgive them. Writing it helps to convince the subconscious. And that is significant, trust me. And there's been times when I'll do it on my own. You know, I went through one unforgettable experience and I flew back to where I was living and then the guy from that town rang up and demanded that I return for an apology or whatever. And I had to, four, 1 a.m. I was having devotions. I thought, I've got to deal with this. And so I wrote it down and burned the list outside the back door to get rid of it as a part of releasing the hurt. Um, when I was lecturing in Switzerland, there was a situation in the college and we had a, 
time like this after one evening service and the director, the rector of the college, made a list and burnt it with tears rolling down her cheeks. I have seen God use it with adults, kids and even frost wrinklies. So uh, there we are. Father, forgive them. The next thing Jesus said was, why have you forsaken me? This one's heavy. In a hard experience, it's okay to ask God why, as long as you don't expect an answer. Sorry, friends, this thing is really sluggish. Okay, what if I try that? It's okay to ask why, the first thing. No, can you advance it for me? When we ask why, we are actually making a statement of faith because we are trying to reconcile a messed up world with a God who's in control. It's a statement of faith. God is in control and what is happening in your life and mine as believers, he has promised to bring good out of it. Do we know that verse in the Bible? God causes all things to work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Romans 8, verse 28, if you're taking notes. Whatever, if you love the Lord Jesus and you've asked him to forgive your past, whatever he lets happen, he's going to bring some good out of it. I was on my way to Canberra for a visit in the south and we got held up because the driver couldn't find his car keys. And I felt, Garth, you've known for days we were on this trip. Get your act together. And finally, after half an hour of searching, he located it and we set off. And before we got to Coffs Harbour, there'd been a very, very bad road accident about half an hour before. And I found myself thinking, I wonder whether God was protecting me with that delay. Some of the things that happen in our journey, God is at work not having to tell us the reason. He is God. He doesn't have to run his plans past us for our approval. (laughs) But if you look at the story of Joseph, do you think there was a hard experience about being sold by his own flesh and blood, his brothers? And then down in Egypt being uh, falsely accused and put in jail for the crime he refused to commit and then being forgotten by the jailer? The uh, butler, excuse me. By the way, there's got to be a good butler in every story somewhere if you look for it, you know. But uh, there was the butler who'd forgotten him, but the butler knew where to find Joseph two years later when Pharaoh had a dream. And all the while, Joseph was getting experience in administration in Potiphar's house and then in the jail. By the way, has anybody ever had problems with public servants who don't have the card or something? You know, public servant seems to me an oxymoron. Um, (laughs) um, But the point is, Joseph had to deal with working and organising people. Do you reckon that would have been a help when he was organising all the grain for all of Egypt? God was giving him experience so that Joseph ultimately makes the comment, you guys meant evil, but God meant it for good. Let us never forget that even though there are evil things happening, was the crucifixion of Jesus an evil thing? They all knew he was innocent. The most refined justice system in the world in world history, the Roman system, arranged his crucifixion, motivated and supported by the most 
profoundly informed religious system, the Jewish faith of that time. God was at work even though it didn't look that way. We do well to remember it. So what about the fact that Jesus, the next thing he did was he looked to John. John, behold your mother. To Mary, behold your son. Even though Jesus had younger brothers, he was providing John to care for his dear mum. And I just put their ministry to the family as part of our calling. When I've been planting churches over the years, uh, it's usually been, well, over those years, 100 hours a week was my normal week. And somebody nailed me and said, what about your kids? Uh, You know, I said, my family is part of my ministry. My ministry to my boys and to my wife is part of my responsibility. Our ministry to our family is part of God's calling on our life. And never, never forget the power of prayer. I think when we get to the other side, that's the one regret is the, the things I wished I'd prayed more about. Does that make sense? So now, then we find that there is hope in life's darkest moment because when one thief is giving him a hard time, the other one says, you'll be with me in paradise. Jesus is able to invest hope in that man even in the darkest moments of agony. Crucifixion was the most cruel death ever devised. In fact, we get our English word excruciating from the word cross. Crux crucis is cross. Excruciating is drawn from the word of the cross. The worst death that could be devised, and what do we find? There was concern for others by the Lord Jesus in that moment. He was not preoccupied with himself. Does anybody know the name of Viktor Frankl from World War II? Some of you do? Viktor Frankl was a Jewish doctor who was imprisoned by the Nazis. He was tortured at some length. But I was fascinated to read that he said, when I was being tortured, I worked out how I would explain this experience to my students after the war. And he said, everything changed. Suddenly, he's not thinking about himself and the pain. He's actually thinking of another person and how he can care for those students in a day to come. And in a sense, as part of our journey, how our lives can be a blessing to others is part of what God is seeking to do. And uh, it robs torture of its power. Okay, then Jesus asks, makes the comment, I thirst. Now, he was obviously fulfilling the Old Testament but it's okay to ask for our needs. It's fine. God doesn't mind us praying and uh, asking, and it was obviously a fulfilment of Psalm 22 and Isaiah 53. I've never been in a position to confirm it, but I've been told by one who's travelled to Israel that Isaiah 53 is a banned chapter in Israel because when they asked people, in fact, this young fellow was travelling round the streets of Jerusalem showing people Isaiah 53 and saying, who do you think that refers to? And they were saying, Jesus of Nazareth, because it is so clearly a person. Isaiah 53, he was wounded for our iniquity. He was bruised for our, his stripes are upon us. By his stripes, we are healed. Sorry. So now when we talk about the black darkness, here's one that you might find interesting. I did some research and discovered that the black darkness is recorded in Chinese history. Here's what it says from the Latterhand dynasty 
Um, and what it's saying is, on the day of Guihai, the last day of the month, there was darkness. The emperor avoided the throne room. Another entry, a short time later, referred to it as an eclipse. Now, we know it wasn't an eclipse because at Passover time, the sun and the moon are in the wrong places for an eclipse, but the darkness, that's the only supernatural darkness or darkness they'd experienced. But here's the amazing part. The, uh, the emperor declared the sins of all people are now on one man. The emperor proclaims pardon to all under heaven. Does that sound like a rather insightful comment for Easter Friday? The sins of the, the people on one man. And by the way, I've given you the reference where it's come from. Um, the Faith of Our Fathers, Chen Kai Hong. Uh, and there's the book number and pages if you want it. I'm told the Chinese government doesn't allow the book to be reprinted because it shows the way in which the truths of the gospel are part of their heritage. Very interesting. But I gave you the reference. I'm afraid I can't show you a book because I gave mine away thinking I could just buy another one to one of the students. But the thought that the emperor has proclaimed pardon to all, is that an exciting thought, that there was a, a darkness on the other side of the Eurasian continent? So... And we read that the veil of the temple was split in two from the top to the bottom. Mark tells us it was from the top to the bottom. Um, and only the high priest could go into God's presence one day of the year. How On the Day of Atonement, how often can we go into God's presence? 24-7. Is that exciting news? I wish you a lot were a bit more caro. Can we try that one again? Um, would there be a hallelujah or a praise if we say that we can go into God's presence 24-7? Amen. Thank you. That's underwhelming. So, um, and then we hear Jesus saying, into your hands I commend my spirit. There we go. One of the things that I found interesting was that John Wesley commented of the early Methodists. He said, our people die well. Interesting comment. I am aware of the fact that so often there are those trying to hang on to life for many in hospital beds. Nurses have referred to that over uh, the years. But here is the dimension. I, I actually had the unusual privilege. Oh, yeah, I guess that's how to say it. I was heading north for ministry, I knew my mum was fading and uh, I thought, I'm not sure I'm going to get back in time to say goodbye. And so my final words to her, we'd, we'd chatted about the loved one she would see on the other side. You'll see Roland and you'll see Uncle Bert and you'll see, and I was cheering and encouraging her with that anticipation of heaven and there was that beautiful smile. And then I said to her, I'll see you when I get home, mum. And we both knew what I meant. We both knew I was heading north and I'd likely miss it. But I'll see you when I get home. There is the dimension of hope. And that is at the heart of our gospel. And when someone we, we love passes to the presence of God, we can celebrate no more tears, no more sorrows, no more... Uh, hello? And we get a new body. Anybody else looking forward to the new body besides me? I tell you, this one gets tired before I finish the job on some jobs i got to do. And I'm looking forward to a new one that doesn't get tired. 
a sense of positive anticipation, looking forward to seeing loved ones. When I was speaking for Creation Ministries in Coffs, uh, Bundaberg, Bundaberg um, partway through, we touched on the issue of death. And I just said, by the way, if you know somebody who's lost a loved one, don't be afraid to remind them that if they love the Lord Jesus, they're more alive than they've ever been before. Amen? After the service, several people came and said, thanks for your word. It was relevant, helpful, kind comments. And then this older guy came up to me and he said, my wife died last Wednesday. Thank you. But we do well to remember that, more alive than ever before. So, And then the magnificent cry of triumph, it is finished. And uh, it's, the Greek word is in the perfect tense, the tense for a completed action. The door slammed, closed, it's finished, it's closed. That was the idea, that's the tense that was used, a cry of triumph. All that Jesus came to achieve had been accomplished when he said, it is finished. And don't you ever have someone read it, oh, well, it's finished. No, it's finished. It was a a cry of triumph, Uh, the perfect sacrifice once for all, forever. The Passover lamb, the perfect lamb, had been slain for the sins of the whole world. No more tears. And I was trying to work out what will I do for a picky of heaven. And I had this picture of these kids who had been just having so much fun at a church event one Christmas some years ago, Easter some years ago, And I thought to myself, have you imagined being surrounded by people who love you, enjoying good humour and great stories and and all of that? Um, You know, more tears of sadness, only joy and the delight of friends who will love us unselfishly. By the Holy Spirit, Scripture says, Jesus offered himself without spot to God and may that same Spirit cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Sometimes they refer to the Holy Spirit as the shy member of the Trinity. He doesn't like attention on himself. He wants to focus attention on Jesus. And uh, that Holy Spirit lives inside of us from the moment that we become believers. When you become a Christian, the Spirit comes and lives inside and everything changes. So what's it all for? We've talked about Easter. I've given you an overview on the, uh, the events and the words from the cross. What was it all for? Billy Graham tells the story about a judge and his daughter ended up coming to be uh, sentenced by him for exceeding the speed limit seriously. He prescribed the fine and then he came down and paid the fine out of his own pocket. The Heavenly Father recognises that the wages of sin is death and he comes down in the person of the Lord Jesus and pays the price that we can go free. So, on the cross, Jesus, the innocent one, paid the price for our freedom. God can now set us free from the death penalty for sin if we accept the offer. By the way, it is an offer we must accept. You don't just, not everybody's going to heaven. You know, I could start naming people like Adolf Hitler and some others that use names have been used more frequently. The only basis they'll get in, the big thing about them is that they're made in the image of God. The second question then is whether they have repented even in final moments and God is always wanting us to be uh, welcomed into his presence. But you and I must ask the Lord to forgive our past and change us on the inside. That's a requirement from Scripture. So what makes Easter special? Well, 
You put the seeds in the ground and you get the shrub, the bush or the beautiful rose. The Easter egg reminds us that when the shell is broken, the chicken represents the new life that is coming out. And I thought of when I saw that picture of the little hand hanging on to a larger hand, I thought, isn't that a picture of us in our journey? Reaching up with our tiny hand to the great hand of God, knowing that he's with us in our journey, that nothing can happen in our life that he has not already planned to use for good. Now, Easter weekend is sad when we remember how Jesus was mistreated, but it has a wonderful day when we remember that Jesus came back to life in his new body and we have a hope of a new body. Uh, And I thought I would just tell you a story you may enjoy. When I was pastoring in Bowen with the Bappos at that time, um, I just felt a burden to ring up the Salvation Army office because we'd met a couple of times at ministers' gatherings. And I said, how are you battling? Are you guys flat out delivering Christmas hampers and stuff? And she, the lady, the wife offered, answered and said, yes. I said, would I be any help to you with, a Christ, with an Easter service? Oh, she said, I'd be so grateful. It just kind of one thing she didn't have to do was prepare and deliver a sermon. And so we had chatted very cordially. And she said, look, come round now. I, I'll show you something you don't normally see. So round I went and there was this coffin painted bright red. Well, that surprised me, but that the deceased had said, when I die, I want to go under (laughs) in a coffin painted red for celebration. Red is the colour of resurrection. And family members, I don't know whether you can see it, but family members were writing little love greetings on the side of the coffin. This was different from anything I'd ever... But the best bit was then they said, oh, but you must hear about the fork. I said, the fork? She said, I want you to put the fork in my hand because at the church fellowship teas, they always said after the first course, keep your fork because the sweets are coming up. It gets better, you know. (laughs) After we've had all the meat and potatoes and good stuff, then comes the, the sweets. It comes at the end, keep your fork. And so this dear lady specifically requested that she would have a fork in her hand. And for the Christian, death is not the end, it is a new beginning. Amen? And it is a different one. Uh, a whole new, new chapter. You've heard of Johnny Erickson? I love the fact that dear Johnny, who was so motivated, she would paint with her mouth. Wow. But she said, when I get to the other side, I'm going to be on my feet dancing. Do you reckon that's a good picture? She was so excited about looking forward to heaven. So let's put it together. When things seem to be out of control, remember it is not so. Now, we all face some challenges. Uh, The first one I put up there was fears of what's happening with Russia and Ukraine and and what China might do. Anybody seen some newspaper reports? Have you noticed that the newspapers try to get you worried about something? So you'll buy their paper. There's going to be the worst cyclone we've ever had. Or this is going to be World War Three, Or, you know, this government or that one won't be re-elected. You and I do not need to be afraid. Remember, Beck so beautifully picked that up. Uh, Fear not, for I am with you, says the Lord. We do not need to be afraid. He's always with us, like that uh, little hand hanging on to the much bigger one. Fears about Russia and China. Uh, the election. Anybody wondering what's going to happen after the election? I could think of some names who might well be thinking about that. And uh, relational concerns. Have we got a son or a daughter or an uncle or an aunt or a cousin who needs God's touch? Or maybe it's a health concern. 
but whether it's financial or feelings, feelings of loneliness. You and I will have to work through feelings of loneliness as part of the journey. One of the unforgettable experiences for me, in fact, probably the most unforgettable in high school, was when the year 11, our, we used to call them form teachers in those days, our, our class, and she said, I want to see you after school in my office. So I rocked up to Miss McNamara's office, put my bag on the rack and waited. And she waited till all the other uh, teachers had gone home from the staff room and then she beckoned me in and offered me a cup of coffee. And I'm thinking, lady, whatever I've done wrong, let's just get it over with, you know? And she then smiled ever so sweetly and said, you're probably wondering why I've asked you to come. Uh, Yes, miss. She said, has it dawned on you that you are the most unpopular kid in the school? Do you think she had my attention? She poked a book under my nose and said, read it, you need it, I want a book report in three weeks. But I thank God for that lady because the things I learned in that book were going to shape my life in the years that were to come. I was to have to learn to cope with loneliness because I was going to be a superintendent and superintendents have to make hard decisions. I was going to have to cope with loneliness in church planting and all the rest of it. God used that teacher to bring that book into my life at a vital time. I still try to review it every four or five years just to be refreshed on things I am prone to forget. If you want to know what it is, you can ask me afterwards. Um, But feelings of helplessness or loneliness are part of the journey. There may be health or finance concerns. Um, All things are working together for good if we love God and are fitting into his family, preparing us for eternity, and we can say, thank you, Lord, for the good that is coming out of this. Now, I wonder, is there something that's in your mind right now that you're worried about? Somebody who's sick, a finance concern, maybe it's the election or... You know, my boy served in Afghanistan after doing a number of overseas tours with our armed forces. And my wife said to me, I wonder whether if things get worse, what's it going to mean for John? Parents do ask those kind of questions, don't we? What's going to happen when he finishes year 12? Uh, Not for John, for another uh, situation. So we can know that God is at work in our lives as believers and bringing good out of them. So we have the enormous privilege of prayer because we owe God our praise for his greatness and we have an access to the one who calmed the storms. Amen? That's right. And others need our prayers even when they don't ask for them. I hope you are praying for the Prime Minister and for the leader of the opposition. Those blokes might be doing some hard thinking right now. Hmm? And for the Queen and the Governor-General and the Governors are part of our process, we should be praying that God will give them wisdom in their decisions. Very, very important. And uh, simply living with an attitude of prayer changes us. If you're around me when something goes wrong, you'll hear me say, thank you, Lord, I'm not happy, but you're going to bring good out of it. And that is a statement of faith. So what are the benefits? We affirm our value as God's child. We declare a mission for our lives, not just filling in time till we die. We have a conscience on messy situations, clear conscience. We are not helpless when a friend is in trouble and we can pray and offer hope. So we come in difficult situations and we've got some answers of which we can take hold. The last slide, which is always an encouragement to congregations, 
is to remind us that God has a plan for every one of our lives. That plan is going to include the family we were raised in. Brothers, sisters in all that sort of family, what kind of mum and dad we had, and then our schooling. I've mentioned one or two of my teachers and friends, the shaping of that part, our personality. Have you noticed some people are noisy and some people are quiet? Some personalities love to tell stories. Why spoil a good story by speaking to the facts? Uh, Some people love to tell stories and enhance them. (laughs) Our personality, our lifetime experiences are all part of what God will recycle for benefit in the plan, plus our sense of calling. And every one of us has a unique place. There is no one on the planet, never has been, never will be, like you or like me. Each one of us, God has shaped for his own sovereign purpose through the things that have happened in our journey. Don't miss it. So what we need to do, if you want to be sure of the plan, we need to believe that Jesus died on the cross and rose for our sins and rose again. We need to accept, excuse me, admit our sin and in repentance ask God to forgive us, admit and ask. We need to surrender the steering wheel of our lives to God And we need to expect some changes with a new master in our lives. I put that little acrostic to give you something to base your life on. I use it when I'm sharing my faith, believing about Jesus, that he was God's son, died for our sins, came alive again. Admitting my sin in repentance, I'm sorry and I want to quit. And then surrendering the steering wheel of my life to God and expect some some changes because there's a new master. So... I I commend that to you, by the way. I've seen it a number of times. God has used it significantly in my sharing with people. And I think that might be my knowledge. That's the last slide. So, oh, yes, this is the key to discovering our destiny. You are not here filling in time till you die. There is a plan and a purpose to build bridges of hope to people that you will meet that no one else will be able to help. Let me pray for you. Now, Father, as I reflect back on my own journey, I thank you for wonderful friends. I thank you for the message of hope from the Bible. I thank you for a confidence that when Jesus died on the cross, my sins were nailed to the tree and I don't have to ever fear that they'll be raised again. Thank you. I thank you more that Jesus didn't stay dead, that he magnificently came back to life and sent the Holy Spirit to live inside of your people. And I pray for each one of us today that your hand will be upon this people and those who are part of this church catching it on streaming as well. Let great grace and your blessing be upon this people and give us, I pray, a positive sense of anticipation of that great day when Jesus will come back and close off history. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.